Please remain standing for the reading of today's scripture from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then when what, what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yes, this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is the paradise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Mark, for reading our lesson this morning. And what a joy it is to be home. After a few weeks, uh, I knew Greg when we entered in and processed when you hit the first note uh, that we were in the right place this morning. And uh, thank you so much to our uh, Sunshine Choir for the beautiful anthem and so grateful for each of you. Uh, we, we took nearly 80, we took 89 people to Israel and Jordan and you'll be glad to know we brought 89 back, uh, which we're very thankful for. Uh, came back by way of St. Louis where several of us attended our general conference as observers and I'll be sharing a little bit about that later. But while we were in Israel, uh, I met someone really, really special, uh, someone with whom I became extremely close and I wanted you to meet her, so I brought a picture uh, of this particular <laughs> animal. Uh, it's okay, Sherry knows all about it. Um, I call her Bessie. Uh, she was crazy about me, as you can see from the picture. Uh, we met in Jericho, where the walls fell down, and um, my wife has not kissed me since. Um, but I just wanted to be confessional with you this morning before the rumors begin. Uh, I miss her, but it's good to be home. And we're coming to the conclusion of our series today on the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, and what you may notice is uh, we read a text that we began this series with. Did you notice that? I hope you did that we read around the first part of January. Uh, you'll be glad to know I'm not gonna preach the same sermon that I did, although if I did, you probably wouldn't know it. <laughs> but we're repeating this text because I want you to notice something about it. I want you to notice a recurring phrase that happens three times in the text Mark read and 12 times in chapters two and three. John, speaking for the risen Christ, says, I know. Jesus knows. And then in every letter, he specifies that. I know your works. 
I know your deeds. I know your struggles. I know your confrontations. I know your compromise. I know your condition. I know your patience. I know your persecution. I know your disagreements. I know your heart. I want you to notice that 12 times to the seven churches, John says, Jesus knows. The word in Greek is the word oida. It means literally knowledge that comes from firsthand personal experience. In other words, it's just as John said, this risen Lord who walks among the lampstands of the church, nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing is beyond his purview, his awareness or perception. Jesus knows the church. In fact, if you read the Gospels and the Epistles in the New Testament, you'll discover that the church was actually Jesus' idea. Some of us were in the Golan Heights two weeks ago at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was there at the mouth of the cave that in the first century they referred to as the gates of hell. This is where Pan was worshipped, where the origin of pantheism begins. And it was here in this place that Jesus asked a question of his disciples, who do you say that I am? And of course, you remember it was Simon who was the first to confess his faith in Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the son of the living God. And you remember Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you from now on, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's the first mention of the word church, ecclesia in the Gospels. You see it again in Matthew 18. It began with one man, with one confession, and today we number three billion plus. Jesus knows the church, and Jesus loves the church. So much so that he gave his only begotten son, not just for the church, but for the whole world. And Jesus knows us. I saw a sign the other day, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a play on words from an old song, and it said, Jesus knows me, this I love. I like that. You see this in John 10, don't you, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. I know them by name, Jesus knows. You see it again in Matthew 10, not a sparrow falls to the ground without the knowledge of God. Indeed, even the hairs on your head are numbered. And I realize that's a low count for some of you. Psalm 139 sings of the knowledge of God, personal knowledge of us. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path by lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Why, even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Whither can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? He knows. Jesus knows me. This I love. Now, I think it's a wonderful thing to be known. The Hebrew word is yada. You know that word. It has sexual connotation. It's deep knowledge. It's intimate knowledge like an old married couple. Sherry and I, if we make it to August 24th, we'll have been married 34 years. I think our chances are good. I've realized I, I now know what she's thinking before she ever says it. This can be dangerous. I know her, and she knows me. We have a deep love for each other and respect. It's not all smooth sailing. Uh, We have our spats. Of course, we don't have arguments. We have heated fellowship. (laughs) They're good fights, actually. I counsel premarital all the time. You need to learn to fight sometimes. Passionate people sometimes have their fights because we know each other so well. Now, I realize that sometimes the fact that Jesus knows us can be disconcerting. Let me be honest with you. There are some things I wish Jesus didn't know about me. You want to know what they are? That's none of your business. (laughs) There are some things about you, about us, that Jesus knows, and it's kind of embarrassing. And yet what you recognize in these letters is that Jesus' knowledge of us is not for our harm, It's for our redemption. It's interesting in these letters how each section begins with affirmation. Jesus commending those in the church. Jesus is always intent on finding the good in us, not just the evil, but he doesn't ignore the evil. Indeed, he brings it to our minds so that we can confess our sins, so that we can come clean and repent before God and find release and mercy. But he starts with the good. And I tell you, pastors who constantly harp on the bad and ugly are toxic to the church. And I've noticed they leave a trail of shame and despair in their wake. Jesus knows. There's an old saying the Greeks often used. I don't know if you remember it. Know thyself. You remember that? It's attributed to Socrates who expounded on it. He said, and I quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. One of the things that our young people are teaching us today is that authenticity is a must for a disciple. That it's not enough to look the part but to live the life. The unexamined life is not worth living. I've also noticed that sometimes our self-perception is different from reality. In other words, who we think we are is not really who we are. I remember when we were serving a church in Cartersville, I got a call from a mother of a middle schooler one day. She had homeschooled him all through elementary school, and he came home from his first day in public middle school, and she said, how did it go? He was in tears. He said, Mother, why didn't you tell me I was a geek? I never knew it. And she knew exactly what had happened. This poor boy had been told by someone who he was. 
and it didn't match his perception. And he believed a stranger over the mother who brought him into this world and loved him. It happens. Carl Jung, the great psychiatrist you remember from Switzerland said, the world will ask you who you are and if you don't know, they will tell you. And that's true. Have you ever seen how proficient this world is in naming us in all the wrong ways? Labeling us, stereotyping us, cubbyholing us, cartooning us so as to divide and demonize rather to, than to restore and reconcile? I, I, I got a bug. I, somebody said, did you get it in Israel? And I said, no, I think I got it in St. Louis. I'm allergic sometimes to annual conference and sometimes to general conference. But I saw this last week. I was leaving the conference center on Monday night with my son, Andrew, and there on the other side of the street was a man with a poster telling me where I was going to spend eternity. And he shouted as loud as he could these words, get rid of the perverts. And I started to recommend a warmer climate to him. Somewhere south of Key West. But I didn't. But I did wonder what kind of church he was affiliated with. That's not my church. It's not a church of disgrace. It's a church of grace. But it also hit me as I was walking away that Jesus loved that man and he died for him too and that my hating him because of his hate wasn't going to change anybody and Jesus knows I've discovered sometimes and I'm just being confessional I'm afraid to be known you we're afraid to be known oh I know some folk who operate by the adage to know me is to love me and sometimes their ego is bigger than their brain. But more often, the truth is, sometimes even in the church, we're afraid to be known. It's a scary thing. Some of us operate by to know me is to reject me. When I was a young pastor in North Georgia, there was a friend who told me that a particular minister in our conference didn't like me. I didn't even know him. I was young and insecure, more so than I am today, and I was in a stage of life where I needed everybody to like me. I've gotten over that, and some of you have helped me. <laughs> but I didn't understand. He didn't know me. Had he known me, he would have ample reasons not to like me, but he didn't. And so I decided that I wouldn't like him either. And then one day, I ran into him in the hospital corridor, and we were trapped. I said, morning. He muttered, morning. And then he said, uh, after we talked about weather and the Braves and the traffic, we ran out of subjects. And he said, you want to grab a cup of coffee? And I said, no, not really, but okay. And we sat down across the table and we became friends. I know him and he knows me 
And he's not my best friend, but we're okay. It's amazing what a cup of coffee will do. To be known is to risk rejection. And it happens. You're in good company. It happened to Jesus. When he made himself known, he was rejected and nailed to a tree. But even when he was dying, he didn't opt for vengeance. He went out with mercy on his lips. Father, forgive them. They don't know me. And they don't know you. In Jerusalem two weeks ago, we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and we knelt down at the site where tradition says Jesus was crucified. And we prayed, and then we went to the garden tomb. And when we walked inside, it was empty. And I was reminded, you cannot bury love. You cannot destroy mercy. You cannot seal grace in a grave because love always wins. It's worth the risk to be known. We were having a tough time in the session on Tuesday afternoon. It was, it was one of those days where I think I said in my e-note, it, it reminded me of more of Washington, D.C. than it did the church. Mudslinging, it was ugly. And somebody during the debate suddenly on the far side of the mezzanine started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's sing that together. Jesus loves me, this I know. What started with one voice, all of a sudden the whole conference was singing and the debate for a moment ceased and the music took over. Jesus knows. I want to tell you something this morning that whoever you are and however the world labels you, in this house, you are a child of God. In this fellowship, lest you doubt, your primary identity is not in your gender, it is not in your ethnicity, it is not in your status, it is not in your orientation, it is not in your nationality, your political party, or your theological perspective. Your primary identity is in a baptismal bowl where through the anointing 
and laying on of hands, you are declared a son, a daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. One last word, and I'm finished. And isn't it wonderful today to come to the table? I have a friend in this community who happens to be gay. She's been a member here for nearly 18 years. She and her spouse have been together for 20 years. Some of you remember when we did our discernment three years ago on human sexuality, uh, I invited her to come have conversation with the lead team. I wanted to ask her about her experience in this church. And she came and she said, we felt an immediate connection. We felt loved here and we joined a Sunday school class. And she said, I knew not everybody approved of us, but we weren't looking to prove anything. We just found a home here and a loving community where we could grow in our faith and serve God and Christ in our witness. She said, one man in our class was a little concerned at first about us and we understood. But she said, one Sunday, my partner was sick and I came alone to Sunday school and I shared a prayer concern, her illness with the group. And that afternoon, I got a call from that same man letting us know that he loved us and that we were in his prayers. And she said, that man is part of the reason that this is my church. I got a text from her on Tuesday afternoon thanking us for our ministry and letting us know that BUMC was her home. We feel loved here, she said. And that woman is my friend. And I've discovered to know her is to love her. Now here's the truth. The church is never likely to agree on everything. Peter and John didn't. The early church didn't, but we can agree on this. A new command I give unto you, that you are to love one another even as I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? With everything. He laid down his life. That's our church. The table is open as it always is and always has been. And if you'll look closely, grace is on the menu and it's all you can eat. The only criterion for coming is that we come in repentance, seeking new life. This table does not belong to a denomination. It is the property of God in Christ. And this bread and cup is freely given so that you may be fortified to live out God's grace in the world so that every person might find our home in Jesus. Jesus is here. Jesus knows us. This we love. And to know him is to love him and is to be loved by him. And that, dear ones, is our salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.